You know, as I was thinking about that, I've had opportunity just recently to invite some people, and uh, it could be online and in person. I'm, I'm hoping uh, Ken and Chris, who said that they were going to be here uh, online this week, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check on you to see if you actually came. And then also Brett, who said he's going to show up on a Sunday, and I'm, I'm checking that he's going to show up. But hopefully you make this an inviting season. Uh, not to put anybody on a guilt trip, but just invite them to, to be in a place where life really happens. Uh, but as you think about that, uh, we do live in a world in which uh, people are struggling. I have opportunity throughout the week to connect with people, and I, I was calling uh, one of our people at church, and, and uh, as I introduced myself, because sometimes, I don't know if you know this, but Mike is a fairly common name, and I'm always shocked that our people who hear me preach all the time when I'm on the phone, and they don't necessarily recognize my voice, which leads me to believe they're not really listening to me when they're here. But, but anyway, it's, it's, I'm, so I usually identify myself, and he said, well, hi, hi. And he says, uh, but I got a question for you before you begin your spiel, whatever he thought my spiel was. He asked me this question. He said, are you calling to just say hi or to encourage me? And I said, neither. I don't want to encourage you at all. No, I know. I didn't say that. I said, I, I said actually, I, I, for both, I came to say hi. I called you to say hi and to be a source of encouragement. And then he then immediately came back and said, well, really, if you look at the things in my life, I'm, I'm, I have nothing to be encouraged about. I, I have nothing to be filled with hope about because I'm facing health challenges. And also, as I look at the world around me and everything that's going wrong, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of hope. Now, when someone says that to me, and he happened not to be online or to listen to the message last week, you know, what does a preacher do? He just re-preaches last Sunday over the phone, right? Because last Sunday, I preached, why should we be hopeful? I mean, we got so much to be hopeful in a world that oftentimes we think is going wrong, and, and that's either outside or inside. And if you haven't recognized, we can't control our circumstances. Isn't that not true? I mean, we can't control what's happening Often in our physical health, we can't happen, often control what's happening politically or around the world. And, and because of that, we can go into despair or discouragement, as, as he was honestly sharing with me. And I'm, I'm really not putting down his honesty and his transparency, because he was at a low moment when I called him. And we can't control. We can do some things that will enhance our health, do some healthy things. But no matter how, how many good health disciplines you have in your life, your health can still flee from you. And as we think about no matter how responsible you are as a citizen, things don't always go the way you are hoping and praying they might go. Uh, but as we think about that, we always have hope for what God gives us. And last Sunday, we just talked about, well, what is something God uh, has given us that no one could take away from us? When we turn to him in faith, and this is what I re-preached to him, and I don't know if you've ever heard this from a preacher who, who preached the same message he preached the week before, and, and, and then the next week he preached the the sermon again for a third time, then a fourth time. And finally, the people came up to say, you know, we, we, we enjoyed that sermon the first time, and it was okay to review it the second time, but five times in a row, that's, that's getting a little old. And he said, well, why are you doing that? He said, well, when we, he included himself, practice the first sermon I preached, then I'll go on to a second one, right? And really, so I was, what I was sharing, I said, look, at you, what, what, this is something you have plenty of reason to be hopeful about when you're not filled with hope because of your circumstances. That when you put your faith in Christ, you're born again. You have a brand new life because of God's great mercy for you. Oh, 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 and by the way, you understand that, that, uh, that you have something that no one can take away from you. And that's what God has planned for you in the future, your inheritance in Christ. 
You need to recognize, as even uh, what Warren was sharing as we began, you have a hope. It's just a living hope, not a dead hope, and that's submitted by the truth that Jesus rose from the grave. Oh, and by the way, you need to recognize that uh, as you think about life, and sometimes good things happen in your life, sometimes not so good things happen in your life, you need to recognize that the life that you have in Jesus, we call that salvation, it's only going to get what? Better. I mean, that should fill us with hope. And what is hope? You can find a variety of different ways. Hope is, is being content and confident and celebrating a certain future that's in Christ. Or to put it more simply, what is hope? Hope is joyfully anticipating and expecting the good that is going to come. That, that we, can, we can be filled with hope and peace and joy. We're going to be seeing that in the Advent candles as we celebrate Christmas. But we can joyfully anticipate and expect the good that not might come, that will come. And again, even as we go through circumstances that aren't more as pleasant as we would like, that we can always have joy in the midst of trials because God never wastes a trial or testing in our life. It, it produces qualities in our life that wouldn't happen unless we went through difficult times. And then we have an inexpressible joy because we know that Jesus loves us. And he said, are you going to preach that to me every time you call me? <laughs> you know, we have a reason for hope. But what I want to talk to you about today is we go on in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter really is a, a very great passage that we can use to get our heart right for Christmas because it's all about hope. But really, we kind of turn the page here as he, as he begins with statements that are true because God has promised. Now he, now he really talks about, well, now what or so what? And we're going to see that in the second part of the message today. But really what I want to answer for you is two questions. God wants us to be hopeful, uh, but what is our hope in? And then secondly, what does our hope do? What is our hope in? And if you've been in church for any length of period of time, if your children were ever in Sunday school and you learn very early in church life that someone asks you a question in church, the answer is always what? Jesus. So as you think about this, and really that's about as deep as I get, is as you think about what is our hope in, it's in a person. It's in a person. And it's really all about Jesus. And as we think about Christmas, and the more we get familiar with any theme or subject in life, sometimes we, we take it for granted. But we need to understand that, that the plan of Jesus coming here was always God's plan. From the very beginning, nothing that has happened in this world has surprised God. Nothing, even Adam and Eve and their rebellion against him, nothing in this world has surprised the living God. And he has planned for that which has gone wrong to be made right for those who turn to him. And so we're going to look briefly is what is our hope? It's in a person. And what's the backdrop of that? And how did that all come into being? Or at least some of the big areas that we could look at. And then secondly, we're going to begin, and it'll be throughout the the series in First Peter is, well, if this be true, that we have so many reasons to be hopeful, to joyfully anticipate and expect the good that is coming, then now how should we live? And we're going to look at a therefore, and every time you see the word therefore in Scripture, you ask yourself the question, what's the therefore Therefore. And really the therefore is, well, okay, now how should I live? What's the so what? What's the now what? How should, make, how should I now live? Well, let's look. Our hope is in a person. And we're, we're going to look at 
Peter introducing or concluding his section here before he gets into the things he, he has been compelled by God to tell his people, including himself, how to live. He goes on and he talks about how did Jesus arrive here? Verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. And if you, don't, if you have a Bible, you want to find 1 Peter, it's much easier. Some books in the Bible, just a little clue here, if you want to find them and you don't look in the table of contents, sometimes it's better to start from the front and go forward. Sometimes it's better to go from the back and go backwards. And 1 Peter is one of those. You start with Revelation, go back a few big books, and you'll run into 1 Peter. And, and so Peter writes this. He says in verse 10, as to this salvation... And again, sometimes we read about words in the Bible and we read words like that. Well, that sounds like very religious language. What is salvation? It's being rescued. It's being delivered. It's being brought back into a right relationship with God. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. And what do I want to say here? Very simply this. As we think about our hope is in a person, right? And that person is who? Jesus. It's, it's not about us. It's not about our institutions. It's about a person. That's Jesus. This, this was predicted, prophesied from the very beginning. And, and really all, what I want to say here is the Old Testament prophets prophesied him. They foretold and foretold that he was to come. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I don't have in your outline, but I have the reference there. We have these words from the writer of Hebrews. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, so he's saying, look at, as you think about the people in the Old Testament, and I don't know if you ever think about this, as we think about Jesus now, after he came, sometimes we think, well, what about the people who came before Jesus came, right? And I want you to understand that this was no just arbitrary thing that God up in heaven said, well, you know, I think I'm going to send my son down to heaven, to, to, to earth. This was from the very beginning. And he prepared his people then, and he prepared uh, his people now, and the people that were right when Jesus arrived on the scene, that this was according to God's plan. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Often when I talk about people that are maybe struggling about believing there is a God and, and then believing that Jesus is God and thinking about even another question, which gets very personal. If there is a God, how do I know that he really cares about me? And, and really, we, we back up and say, look, I think he would, he would do a variety of things to prepare us for his coming. And that's what the whole two-thirds of this big book is all about, the Old Testament, coming from the beginning uh, to the time when Jesus arose. Uh, uh, arrived on the scene. But God's greatest demonstration of his love for us is that he appeared, right? He showed up. And that's what he said. Look at God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament that prophesied of the one who was to come, and, and they didn't get experience in its fullness because he hadn't arrived yet. But that was all for the point of that when God was to declare himself most clearly and plainly, he would arrive on the scene. And often we can speak about that. Well, why would you believe that Jesus is God? Well, make whatever definition of God you want to make. How would, how would we know God? How would we recognize God was here if he showed up? He'd do the miraculous, say the miraculous. He'd come in a miraculous way. He would amaze people in his teaching. He would live a perfect life. 
Oh, and by the way, he would conquer life's greatest question. What happens when we, what? When we die. And then he'd go back and he'd come back and prove he did rise from the dead. And, and then he would change people's lives down through history. And the Old Testament prepared us for the one who was to come. And that's where all the prophecies concerning Christmas came true because these people in the Old Testament, inspired by God, laid it out plainly, even to the place of where he would arrive on the scene, that little place called Bethlehem. But then he goes on in this text, getting to that place where we're looking at the therefore, so what? Verse 11, he says that, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Now, that's somewhat complicated language, but basically what he's saying here is I want you to know that as we think about this one who's going to come, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a person that's going to confuse us a little bit. Because if God were to come, most of us, if God were to arrive on this planet, he would, he would come in Air Force, what? Air Force One, right? He'd come in some spectacular, powerful way, but, but that's not how he came. Because you need to recognize that when Jesus came, he, he came not to impress us with those type of glittery things. He came to deal with what is most important that separates us from God, which is our, our own sin. And if you, if you want to get a great definition of sin, just look at that middle letter. And that middle letter is what? Uh, we all have an eye problem. Selfish, seeking our own, abusing the people around us. Uh, living for ourselves and not for others and, and taking the God who made us and created us and ignoring him. And, and as, as, as God outlined how he was to come, it says here in verse uh, um, 11, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The sufferings of, of the promised one, the anointed one, uh, Christ, and that's not Jesus' last name. That's just identifying. He's Jesus the Christ. He is Jesus the Messiah. He is Jesus the one who was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. And he would come and suffer. And, and for many of them, that, that, was, that was a thing they couldn't, they couldn't wrap their heart and mind around. If, if God arrived here on earth, he'd come in power. And, and really, the Old Testament describes that in a variety of different ways. But before that, it, it describes it by way of suffering. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, it says this. He, talking about the the, the servant that was to come, the the promised one, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And his scourging, by his scourging, we are healed. Now, if you were to take that picture, does that sound like the promised one? Does that sound like the Messiah? Does that sound like the Lord of Lords and King of Kings? He came to suffer? Many describe this way as the prophets in the Old Testament looked at these two things that were competing with each other in terms of the picture of the one who has come. They, they saw the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant, and then they, they saw the, the conquering, glorious, powerful servant. And many, when, 
when Jesus arose on the scene and people were describing him as the Messiah, they, they took a step back and said, it can't be. That's not the one that we're looking for. We're looking for the one who's going to relieve us from all the problems of this world, take over the Roman Empire and put us in power. And many describe it this way as you think about the look in the... I don't, you know, I could go a long time because I can't see that clock that well, okay? Is, oh, there's a, there's a 9.55, okay? I've got 50 more minutes, okay? So, so uh, they, they, they saw the picture of this one who was to come, and our hope is in a person. And it was, like, it was like two mountaintops that were, like, put together, but there's a valley in between. And Jesus came as a suffering servant. There's a space in between before he comes again, and then he comes as the it's the powerful Lord of Lords and King of Kings. This is where the full passage of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 describes the one who is to come. For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And when Jesus came, that, that didn't happen. The government didn't rest on his shoulders. It could have happened, but he chose not to because he came to deal with what separates us from him, our sin. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and and this we need to understand, that we believe in the one true God, who's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're, they're three in one. And, and, and these are titles only deserving deity. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father. And even as we saw today, he's, he's, he, is, he is peace embodied, and he gives us peace. This is, there will be no end of the increase of his government or of peace or the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God, God wants us to be involved in so many different ways of, of helping people and rescuing people, most importantly, getting them right with God. And, and we, we can involve our lives in so many different ways that helping people who are, who are put down and, and discriminated against but this ultimately will not be erased, the problem of sin, until Jesus comes again. So as we think about this one who is to come, the Old Testament prophets prophesied him, the Holy Spirit predicted sufferings and priests, and, and then we need to recognize this, this was a message that went out. It, it was revealed to him, verse 12 in 1 Peter chapter 1, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so Peter, living in the days in which Jesus had arrived on the scene, and now he is, he is, he is just building up God's people as churches are established and strengthened spiritually, he gets very plain. I want you to know that we who were with him, and you could also say those who, who weren't with him, but now experience new life in Christ, we've got, we've got a mission, don't we? To preach the gospel. That doesn't mean that we stand up like Billy Graham did before hundreds of thousands of people. That might be what God wants you to do. But he said, look, I want you to share the good news that you've experienced and share it with others. This, this is life. Life eternal, life abundant, and we want to preach that gospel, and the word gospel simply means good news. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with others. Pray for people, and just being inviting people. Understanding that this is, the, this is the message of Christmas, that we might be rescued, saved from ourselves, from our sin, and brought to the Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1, 3 through 6, it announces what the gospel is. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel the good news which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. This is the foundation of who we are. For I delivered to you as of first important 
that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and then he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, and according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, and then to 12, and after that, more than 500 people. What is the gospel? What is the good news? That, that God the Son came to pay the penalty for our sins, took on our sins, paid our penalty, died in our place, and then rose again victorious over death to give us life. And when we put our trust and faith in him, repenting from our sin, turning from what is wrong, and turning to the one who is right, everything changes. Then there's a little phrase in here that we, we, could, we, could, we could spend some time drifting here that it's kind of amazing. And then it says, things into which angels long to look. You know, angels, is, it's the actual, it's a, it's a transliterated word in the original language, the word angelos, from which we get angels. Uh, the word angel, if you were to translate it into an English language, you would say, mes- you would say messengers. Uh, but these are, these are created beings of God. And as they look at all this that we often take for granted, which is Jesus coming, why he came, and what he does in people's lives when he comes into their lives, transforming them into, the Bible says, new creatures, new people, because they now have the living God living within them. Uh, the angels look at this, and they, they, kind of, like, they kind of scratch their head and say, this is, this is too amazing. I can't quite understand this. You mean, people can have hope in a person, and it changes everything? Now, I don't have time to give you a little angelology, which is simply the study of angels, but essentially there are only two groups of angels in, the, in God's kingdom. You have good angels, and the other kind of angels are bad angels. And, and, and what's interesting about this is that they basically had one choice. Uh, back in eternity past, and when there was a rebellion against the li- one only living God, that they could choose, do I want to follow God or I want to follow that substitute, which is Lucifer. And there were a third of the angels, if you look at the details in the scripture, that decided to go Satan's way rather than God's way. And at that moment, they were confirmed in their identity with the living God. They were confirmed in their rebellion against God or their allegiance to God. And so as you look at that, it kind of gives some insight into this. As you think about, why did angels long to look into it? Because, see, they had never experienced God's grace after sin. They had one choice. Follow me or don't follow me. And as you look at us, we're born into a world, and we're born into life, and we are in sin. None of us come out of the womb selfless. None of us come out of the womb basically good. Now, we might be cute, and some are cuter than others, depending upon if they're your child or your grand... You want to see my pictures of my grandchildren? Okay. So, uh, but, they, but they all have sin. And, and as the angels look at this, they say, this, this grace, getting what people don't deserve after they've sinned. We had one choice, and it was over. And so they rejoice and marvel at God's goodness, at his mercy and grace, giving us life in him. It's just, it's hard for them to comprehend. So as we think about hope, and it gets back to the very simple answer to most questions found in church and Christian environments. What is our hope? It's in a person. That person's name is who? Jesus. 
But, but there's a whole depth to how he came to arrive on this planet for us. It was prophesied in the Old Testament by the prophets. The Holy Spirit said it's going to be a, a suffering and glorious experience. And we need to recognize that this is the message for that first church and for all of us. is tell people the good news that Jesus came, that we might be rescued from our own self-centered life. And then also, this, this is something that the angels, they can't even experience to the death that we have because we experience God's grace and mercy. Getting what we don't deserve, not getting what we do deserve because Jesus went to the cross for us. But then Peter changes. And then ultimately, as we think about coming to places like this where we either online or in person or outside or in our fellowship center, three different ways here to be involved in the service is that Okay, if that be true, well, again, then so what am I supposed to do now? And this is, this is where Peter lines up and looking at three or four verses pretty quickly. Uh, this is what he says, therefore. And whenever you read the word therefore, you ask yourself the question, what's the therefore? Therefore. And basically what he's saying, therefore, I, I want you to live in a certain way. I want, I want your whole produce a whole different way of life. And, and really quickly, I'll... I'll I'll state it, and then we'll look at it. Number one, it prepares and motivates us for action and self-discipline. And you say, well, I don't like self-discipline. I I like to be passive rather than active, but we're going to see that in the text. And then secondly, it prepares, motivates us to be obedient, holy children, knowing when to say yes or no. And hopefully this will make more sense as we go through it. Here we go. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, I... Prepare your minds for action. And very simply, hope you understand where I got that point. It ought to prepare us, motivate us for action. And we get that from this very clear statement, prepare your minds for action. Now, if you have a King James, a Bible, it might say, gird up your loins. Anybody have a passage that says that? Gird up your loins. Well, gird up your loins is, is kind of an old way of saying, uh, get ready, all right? And, and really what it was is saying, look, if, if you're going to be doing something, you've got to be prepared to do it, right? And, and we need to recognize that the, the, the style of dress in the first century was quite different than the style of dress in our particular day, right? Basically, the men wore what? Dresses, right? Uh, they were pretty long, and if, if they were going to run, uh, they need to be prepared. They're going to go into battle. They need, to, they need to be prepared. They need to gird up their loins. So what they would have to do is they'd have to roll up their long dress or toga, whatever you want to call it, and they have to hinch, cinch it around their belt. It's the same idea in Ephesians chapter 6. Says, Stand firm, therefore, and put on the belt of righteousness or gird your, gird your uh, loins with righteousness. It means, man, pick up, pick up that which is flowing around you so you can prepare to move. You know, as, as I was, many of you are aware that that had a, I had a procedure a few weeks ago, and uh, I, I got kind of reprimanded by one of my kids, you know, Tim, Cindy, Mark, and Matt, and I won't tell you which one, but his initials are Mark Johnson. But anyway, um, he said, you know, sometimes, sometimes you make a little light of what you went through. You had people praying for you, and I appreciate your prayers. I, that, uh, it was a very serious thing that could have, uh, um, you know, could have been even more serious, all right? 
Uh, I do want to remind you that I'm feeling well right now, and uh, I'm doing everything to, to, to get even more healthy than I was, I guess. Uh, but it's interesting, one of the things, I'm in cardiac rehab, okay, in cardiac rehab, among other things, they get you on a treadmill, and you do your thing, and make sure that uh, your heart is functioning while you're doing it. Well, uh, they put you on a heart, they get, they, you have to strap up to a heart monitor, so I got that strapped in, and, and as I was running on the treadmill, and I had to beg them to keep from, go from walking to running, so now I'm running on the treadmill, but the first time I started running on the treadmill, and I had the little heart monitor on, there was something that was happening to the, the running shorts I had, had on, all of a sudden I was, I was sagging without wanting to sag, all right? <laughs> And so for to keep the heart monitor on is, man, I had, to, I had to cinch up that, whatever you call that, the elastic band or the tie into my shorts so that my shorts didn't fall off. And that's basically what saying, look, if you're going to run on a treadmill, you got to make sure that, one, if you've got too much cold out, you don't trip over it. Number two, if you've got shorts that are a little bit looser than you want them to be, that you better tie them up. And really what he's saying here is that because we have this hope in Christ, we don't want to take it for granted, We've got to be prepared for whatever God wants us to do next. Because it doesn't, doesn't necessarily happen naturally. And so we need to discipline our, our, our hearts and thoughts and mind to what God has for us. And then when he says, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the idea of being sober, you know, is the idea of being under control. When, when a person is intoxicated, they are not personally in control of their life. Whatever substance or chemical that's in their body, it's controlling how they live. Isn't that not true? And that's true not only in chemical substance, but, but if you're in an emotional state of rage, are you in control or what? Out of control. So, so you got to take those loose things that are happening in your life and in your mind and say, i, I, I got to get them under control. So many passages of scripture that speak about that. Uh, I have in your outline today. Do not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control on things. And to get it really personal, are, are some things in your life that you know that you would, you would grow in your faith and in dependence upon the Lord and, and, and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit God wants in your life if, if you were just ready for action each day in ways that will impact you spiritually. Where you set aside a time in God's word and you really spend time knowing and understanding it. You spend time praying not only what you're going through but what other people are going through and you see yourself not only as a person that needs to be encouraged but to encourage others. As you see the need to be with God's people to, to get encouragement from them and to be around them and as, as one life rubs off in another life, it makes a difference in how you live. So he's telling them, okay, because of all the hope you have, what you can look forward to, now be motivated to, to sense up your belt that has some loose things going on in your life that need to change. And be under control. Because when we're out of control, we're not going to be and do the things God wants us to do and to be. And then real quickly, in verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. And that word conform really means to be shaped. And, and we all have certain desires and certain longings that are, are particularly who we are. And, and, and we need to recognize that if we don't get control, that, if, we don't, if we're not careful, those things out there will shape us rather than God shaping us. 
But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And I put it this way, as obedient children, to be obedient, holy children, knowing when to, when to say yes or no. And, and really, if we break through uh, you know, some of the religious language in the Bible, you know, be holy or be obedient, that really, I think, can be described as easily as this. In our lives, we need to learn what to say yes to and what to say no to. Would you agree with that? Being holy means to be set apart. Another way to describe it is, is being different. We don't just do what everybody else does. Now, what people are doing are good, then follow that path. But, but we decide, we want to do God's, God's program in our life. We want to be obedient children. I don't know of any parent that wants to raise a child that is always disobedient to them, right? And it's interesting, you know the word obedient comes from the Greek? I'm sure you all do, right? Okay, it comes from a word, akuo, but then it's intensified, hupa akuo. Akuo from which we get the word acoustics, which is the idea of, you know, listening to sound. We know we're obedient when we listen to his voice, not our own voice, or the voices of other people. So what's the point this morning? The point this morning is we need to realize there's a therefore and a so what. And it's because we have hope in a person, a person who, who came in such a way that we can know for sure who he is and who we're supposed to follow. Secondly, we, we, we recognize because our hope is in a person, we, we should now know there's some things God wants us to do. He, he wants us to be people ready for action, Discipline in the spiritual ways that will cause us, allow us to grow. Secondly, that we ought to be holy, obedient children. That know when to say yes and when to say no in this life that's so filled with multiple messages out there. But we want to listen to the voice of God. Now, where does that begin? It all begins with making a commitment. And we're going to close in just a few moments with a word of prayer. And if you've never asked Jesus in your life, we invite you to do that today. Simply say, I admit my need. I want to turn from that which is wrong in my life. I want to believe in Jesus and what he's done on the cross for me, and I commit and choose to follow him. And you can do that by praying this prayer uh, today. Let's look at him in prayer. Father, I invite anyone this morning who's either here or online that they might make life's most important step to choose to put their hope and faith in Jesus. And Father, we can express that to you in prayer. And I invite people to pray this prayer at home if it expresses the desire of their heart to follow you. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person on the inside. I want to follow you. I don't understand everything about it, but I know that you are God the Son and you died on the cross for me. And I want to live as one of your children. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.